millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. So many of us feel stuck and unsure of how to make positive changes in life. Journaling is a proven way of keeping yourself on track and creating lasting change. The How I Quit Alcohol Playbook will take you through 365 days of gratitude, daily affirmation, and loads of techniques to help you stay on track and head towards a clearer future. Head to the show notes or iquitalcohol.com.au to grab yourself a copy today. Are you sick of feeling controlled by alcohol? Do you want to drink less? Do you wake up on a Sunday morning feeling really anxious and full of regret? I'm Danny Carr and welcome to my podcast, How I Quit Alcohol. Hi and welcome back to How I Quit Alcohol. Today from the Total Balance Studios here in Ocean Shores because we're not in our house at the moment, long story. So we're in the Zoom room. I'm joined by my good mate, Janine from Alberta in Canada. I know Janine from my Gabo Mate Compassionate Inquiry course. We've been pretty much in love with each other since our very first meeting <laughs> and our first mm-hmm. group together. I was like, she's my lady. She's my chick. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, anyway, so Janine's uh, about to celebrate her 12 months uh, alcohol-free soberversary. So welcome, Janine. Thank you for joining the podcast today. Thanks for having me. How are you? Hi, I'm good. It's a Friday night. Just chilling in my bed <laughs> it's a friday night in in alberta and uh that's fantastic so one thing i know like i love about you you've got about 10 million kids <laughs> well, yeah, six six, six <laughs> kids and you look amazing six i don't i know you have a lot of you lot you've got a lot of jobs you're studying you've got a lot of things that you kind of shuffle and carry and i'm like wow you know how you've managed to navigate this past year without drinking is phenomenal i think it's amazing and there'll be a lot of a lot of lessons to be learned from from your story and just what you've been through in this last year. So I appreciate it. Also, Janine has Hashimoto's. And thyroid and, eye disease. And thyroid eye disease. Yeah. So, you know, there's a lot going on here. So, Janine, tell us, when did you first start drinking? When did you have your first drink of alcohol? I was a kid. 
My grandpa was from Poland, so we had that European kind of mindset. And he used to give us an option between some beer or buttermilk. <laughs> and as kids, we would just like choose beers like, oh, we get to have an adult drink. So as a kid. Yeah. How old are you talking? Probably six, seven, eight, just a little bit. Yeah. Wow. Yes. That's so interesting with that European culture. I remember we took Sunny, I think I might have mentioned this before, but years ago we went with my daughter Sunny's godfather to eat. And over there, like they're wanting to give Sunny, our daughter, like a bit of wine and lemonade. And I'm like, "Uh, no, she's like four. (laughs) And we were still drinking then. I was like, "Uh, no way. Um, But I think it's just the thing that's just what happens. I I think, I don't know. It's not my heritage. Yeah, yeah. it was. I think for my grandpa and his friends and um, like with the family, it was just a very social thing. It wasn't seen as dangerous or harmful or it was going to get you addicted. It was just, we're all having a drink. Do you want to have some beer? Right. He'd never give us lots, but just, you know, a couple inches in a cup and said, there you go, have some beer. Wow. And do you remember what it felt like or what it tasted like or if it had any effect on you at that age? I did not like the taste of beer and I don't really remember it having an effect on me, but I just remember feeling like, Ooh, I get to fit in. Ah, there you go. Yeah. Oh, I get to fit in. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I started drinking like not for my grandpa when I was in. So junior high here is like grade six, seven, eight, uh, grade seven is the first time I got drunk. Wow. So I would have been about 12 years old. 12 years old. Yeah. About 12. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what was that like? Was that about fitting in? Were you scared? Were you wanting to do it? Like, what was the feeling around it? I think for me, I didn't see it as necessarily a bad thing. My dad's an alcoholic. So, um, and my dad owned the business where there was always the guys over drinking beer. It was just something everybody did. The only person who didn't really drink around me was my mom. So, but my mom, I always viewed her as such a, like a good person, you know, like just, yeah, alcohol to me, it was like fun. It resembled fun and just, I guess, freedom to just do whatever you wanted. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I can relate to that. Is it like all the friends were doing that as well? Yeah. I grew up in a really small town. And so that's just what we did. We'd skip high school just to drive down to the liquor store as soon as it opened. And then we'd skip school all day and just drive around and drink or go park somewhere and drink. And there was parties and like, that's, it was just, that was the thing you did. Wow. So it's not much different to Australian culture by the sound of it. It's like. Probably not. Same thing, different postcode. Yeah. And who was buying the drinks for you? Oh, we used to have a bootlegger. (laughs) We used to, there was a, a guy in our town growing up and you could just stop there and tell him what you wanted and he'd give it to you and you paid him a little bit of extra money. And then because I lived in a small town, even some of the older people we were friends with, so they would, or, I mean, again, my dad was an alcoholic, so there was always alcohol in the house, always just sitting on the counter right there. So you could easily just grab a bottle and run. Yeah. Wow. Shit. And, you know, you say with dad being an alcoholic, how, is it okay to ask how that how did that present itself for you in childhood? I'd say it had a lot of negative impacts, especially doing healing work now and looking back. He was quite abusive and violent. I remember my mom 
telling him he wasn't allowed to drink rye anymore, whiskey, because he would pass out at the dinner table. He had a nickname. They called him Swaggered, right? Like, he was just, that's just what it was. They, the guys would just get all drunk. And my mom never did, though. Like, I can remember maybe five times watching her have a few, like, a drink or two. Yeah. It's really interesting, isn't it, when we look at our childhoods and quite a few people I've had on the podcast or that I work with have parents or a one parent that's quite a bad alcoholic and it's had a significant impact on them. And you'd think Mm -hmm. just like I remember my parents smoking and hating, detesting them smoking, and yet Mm -hmm. then I became a chain smoker for years and years until I quit. And I was like, I'll never do that. I'll never do that. I detest it. I hate it. And it's just this Mm -hmm this thing that's in us, this pattern, we see these people that we love doing it as well, you know? Yeah. Yeah. How did you feel about alcohol? Did you put two and two together that the alcohol was making your dad that way? Like, did you hate it? Did you, were you curious about it? Yeah. He was a lot better once he switched from rye to vodka. He seemed to do a lot better on that. But yeah, I never had a great feeling about it. I seen it devastating my parents' marriage. Um, my dad was never really there. If he was there, he was drunk. And then the next day he walked on eggshells because he was generally ill or, you know, hungover, grumpy. Yeah. So it was um, pretty terrifying as a kid because he didn't know, especially Sundays used to be my least favorite day because I always felt like I didn't know what my dad's response to just anything normal right like you couldn't ask a question you didn't know I was walking on eggshells literally yeah 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 that's the thing with having an addicted parent and also one of my best friends her dad she you know a couple of them actually grew up with alcoholic fathers and they never knew what they were going to get you know you never know what when a parent's addicted like that you never know what you're going to get when you come home from school so it just fucks with your nervous system as well Yeah. yeah yeah I distinctly remember hating Sundays though Cause it was like after the weekend, you know, like the very last day, it wasn't going to be a big drinking night. It's not like you could drink to get over the cravings. Like he had to go back to work and get his stuff ready. and mm. A lot of walking on eggshells. Yeah. How did that affect your core belief about yourself as a child? To be scared of the people I loved trust to not trust. Um. And, and I mean, it affected me in a lot of ways. It was, I ended up getting into abusive relationships after that for up until six years ago when I separated from my ex-husband. I've only had relationships with addicts and abusive men because of, I would say most likely because of that. Yeah. Yeah. It has such a ripple on effect. And often we don't realize that when we're in it at the time and until we can kind of look back and go, wow, this is where... You know, and again, it's not about making yourself a victim, but it's that understanding. I, I think a lot of it too is it, it let the men in my life off the hook where I had the expectation for myself as a parent that I had to be the one who was responsible and my like ex-husband could get drunk, but I'd always have to be the one who drove and put up with the shit basically from him. I remember one New Year's, I was driving home and I had all my kids in my van and my husband, my ex-husband, sorry, was really drunk and it was really icy because we live in Canada and there's a lot of snow and he was being 
just really mean and cruel. And then we had went around a corner and he pulled my toque down over my head with my van full of kids. And I just, and I mean, it was because he was drunk. Alcohol has so much to be responsible for. Like you think about things like that, your ex-husband doing that. I doubt, you know, would he have ever done that if he didn't drink or, you know, your dad being abusive, would he have been abusive and moody the next day if it wasn't for alcohol? It's it's unfortunate because we attribute so much of our good times and all the good things in life with alcohol, but actually we don't often stop to blame it for the bad stuff that it brings, which is often the case, the anxiety, the regrets, the shame, the remorse, the bad behaviour, you know, is without alcohol, most of these things don't happen. Yeah, true. So tell me a bit more about, so then, you know, you're drinking from a young age as well. You're drinking with friends. It's giving you a feeling of fitting in. You know, you've already got this kind of self-worth issues from your childhood. So how did it get for you? Was it, did you continue? It sounds like you were drinking, you know, quite a bit in your young, younger years. How did that progress yeah. for you? Um, I drank a lot. I was more of a, weekend it would be a weekend out we'd get drunk you know spend the rest of Sunday hungover back to work or whatever Monday to Friday and then back to drinking so that kind of progressed I would say for quite a while and then I stopped I won't say I stopped drinking I just I think with having the amount of kids I had I just became more responsible I guess in a sense I just didn't drink as much but when COVID happened And then I was isolated and I was in school getting my bachelor's of social work. I started drinking a lot more. And then all of us girls, there's about 10 of us girls that have been hanging out for over 30 years. And we'd all like sneak, you know, we weren't allowed to go out and we'd just sneak and get together and and drink. It was the escape. Oh my God. Do you know how many people that I coach Mm -hmm. or join my challenges or, you know, that kind of had it under control to a degree, but then COVID hit. I always hear it, but then COVID hit. And that isolation, the boredom, the stress, you know, it just catapulted people's drinking into another hemisphere pretty much. Yeah, yeah. So how was that looking for you? So, you you know, on top of your um, diseases that you've, you know, that you've, was it kind of, how were you feeling? I started really realising if I drank, the next day when I woke up, I was having a hard time seeing. This was um, when my eyes were actually starting to bulge. I started losing vision in my left eye. Um, but if I drank, I could barely see anything for about two hours in the morning. It was really, really blurry. And it wasn't until I just kind of eased off drinking. I was like, oh, God, like I've been drinking a lot. It wasn't even just on the weekends. I was drinking on a Tuesday night, a Wednesday night, even if it was a glass of wine or a few beers or it was just always something. Um, But when I like didn't have alcohol, my eyes didn't affect me that bad when I woke up. But if I did have alcohol, it was quite blurry for a couple hours. Wow. And so, yeah, that, I mean, even that's a big motivation within itself. How long did it take you to put two and two together with that? Probably because thyroid eye disease, it just kind of, it happens. I think the disease is there, but the actual bulging of the eyes. Um, and I was in the bulging phase. So I think I put two and two together probably after about four months. 
Yeah. What's interesting, I'm sure you'll elaborate on this, but when we first met on our first Zoom, I remember your eyes, not that you looked bad or anything, but I do remember your eyes look significantly significantly different to how mm-hmm. they do now. They look normal now. And, mm-hmm. yeah, so tell me a bit about that. Uh, yeah, so my eyes, I started losing vision. I was in year three of university. COVID happened, was under a significant amount of stress. And um, I thought at first it was from sitting in front of the computer all day that I was losing my vision, but um, it ended up my thyroid numbers were really out. I kept going back. They were never in normal range, no matter the medication I was on. And um, I started looking different. Like I, I remember having a picture and then I kept saying like my eyes. So I went to the optometrist and he wrote me a prescription two weeks later after I got it it was completely wrong. And he's like, I don't understand. Like this was the prescription we got. Like we just ordered you new glasses and you're not seeing out of it. So he sent me to the specialist and the specialist took one look at me and he goes, your eyes are bulged. <laughs> so um, I went home and did research because I've always been into natural healing. And I started deciding to make some changes in my life and started doing some a high doses of vitamin C and zinc. And I was using golden seal therapeutically and was able to get my eyes to go back into remission that way. Um, wow. And I also decided to stop drinking. So when the decision came to stop drinking, was it, what was the role and effects of that? You said that you were drinking with friends. You've been drinking with them for 30 years. I mean, mm-hmm. how did they take that? Was this, and you know, was this just something you declared that you were going to stop forever or was it just a short amount of time? Well, it was kind of funny. I thought, you know, I'm just going to do like a cleanser. I'm just going to focus. It was September 4th. It was my brother's wedding, actually. And I sat there and watched my whole, like, everyone just getting hammered. And my sister was literally at the fire pit throwing up in front of everybody because she was so drunk. And I'm, I'm watching her kids watch her. And then I'm watching her kids drink, like sneak shots. And they're young teenagers and I just thought I don't want that for my kids I just watched that like with my parents and I thought you know I'm just gonna take a little break I've drank more through COVID than I have in years and um, so I haven't had a drink since September 4th and that was the deciding factor for me that was it I think fitting into social situations my friends at first Oh, let me go back. Okay. So I started in September, just not drinking. I thought, oh, I'm just going to quit drinking for a couple of weeks. Just take it easy. And I thought, oh, I'll just do the rest of September. So all my girlfriends were like, oh, well, we should all do dry October. I was like, okay, well, I'm already like a month in. Sure. And I mean, <laughs> I had one girlfriend who didn't even make it to the end of October 1st. Um, I had another <laughs> one that made it first weekend. And I thought, well, you guys signed me up for this. I'm going to do it. So then I did all of October. And then mm-hmm. I was like, I feel a million times better even just um emotionally like I wasn't waking up and feeling guilt feeling shame feeling like the the booze blues so yeah um but then it never like my girlfriends tease me how long are you to quit drinking for and I just, <laughs> I don't know, like maybe forever I just I just want to feel better yeah mm-hmm. we're starting to notice an effect with the eyes you know, at the Mm -hmm. same time, or did that sort of come along later? It was almost immediate because I was also doing the big doses of vitamin C and the zinc and the golden seal. And then I stopped drinking. um, And I noticed 
a big change in them. I wasn't losing my vision. I didn't have that fear of going blind. Like my vision in my left eye was so bad. I thought I was going blind. God, that's really scary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With a thyroid eye disease, I don't know much about it. Is it an inflammatory thing or? The endocrinologist thinks I had Graves first. You usually you only get thyroid eye disease if you have Graves disease first. Oh, so wow. yeah, I, I'm not sure. My other girlfriend has Graves disease and her eyes bulge so bad. She had to get orbital decompression surgery where they like take the eyes out, cut the bones from the bottom and then the sides and put their eyes back in. And she still drinks all the time and her eyes are still bulging even wow. with that surgery. Wow. Has she seen the change in you? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And that does not spark her interest to kind of. I don't think she would want to quit drinking. Yeah. yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. You can definitely see people using it as a coping skill. Yeah. 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 Oh, that's a shame. Yeah. Wow. I'm also one of those people that I can have fun without drinking. So my friends always tease me. They're like, yeah, we got the best Uber driver ever. Like at first it was funny to, funny to them that I quit drinking. Right. And then, and then they started seeing that this is pretty convenient. We always have a sober driver. Right. And now they've just like, they've accepted. They're like, really, you're really not drinking. And now I feel like every time I see them, they're like, how many days has it been? How long has it been now? Right. And I just like, I have a count, um, a countdown on my phone or whatever, or a tracker. And yeah. So I think they're curious for sure. And I think a couple of my girlfriends have tried to slow down or quit drinking, but yeah. Mm, that's so great because it does have the flow on effect. So have, mm-hmm. the, have there been times when you've caught up with them where you kind of did feel the pull to, to join them? Uh, yeah. Um, September, I, I stopped drinking September 4th. So September 5th was my first day with no alcohol. September 17th is my birthday and we had planned uh, a girl's trip. So oh, 10 wow. of us girls went to up to the mountains and rented a cabin. And it was a weekend filled with alcohol from morning to night. And I didn't drink the whole weekend. Oh my God. And it was hard. It, it was hard. Okay. We have to dissect this and talk about this because so many people will be like, I really want to quit drinking, but my birthday's coming up. Or I really want to quit drinking, but I've got this girls weekend away. So let's hear it. Like, I mean, did you feel the pressure to do it? I've got so many questions. First question. Did you feel that pressure? Oh, yeah. 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 And I mean, we played drinking games, but I think a lot of me was when I worked, so I'm a social worker and I was working at the detox center during COVID and seeing the amount of relapses and the people coming in there was also really hard. That was something else that really made me decide to quit drinking. Um, I watched people come off meth, fentanyl, crack, everything. And alcohol was hands down the worst to watch people come off of. You're kidding. And just, it was awful. Um, People who were coming in there, on other drugs, they'd sleep, come in and sleep for 24 or 48 hours. Somebody that would come in there detoxing from alcohol three to five days later, they'd be getting DTs, hallucinations, seizures. It was really awful to watch. And the thing with alcohol, it was affecting everybody. It didn't matter if you were male or female or which gender didn't matter your class, age, like anyone, everyone. 
it was it was really sad to watch yeah yeah it doesn't discriminate does it it doesn't yeah so that was another it was almost like there were so many different factors that made me want to quit drinking but the the health like my own health was the number one driver but all those other things um I also work at a little bar and I still work at a little bar and don't drink so that also just watching people and I'm like god like people who are drunk they think they're so funny and they're so loud and obnoxious and they make stupid decisions (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah yeah absolutely so okay so you've gone away with your girlfriends it's your birthday Mm -hmm. weekend they're having drinking games and even though you're thinking I've seen what it does. I want to do this for my own health. How do you stick to your guns when your friends are saying, which I'm sure they were, come on, just have one. How did you oh, do Oh, yeah, that? they were. Yeah. They were. Yeah. Um, I think the day I decided that was, that was enough for me to stick to my guns. And, I mean, it was pretty new. The first month was the easiest. I've actually found in the last couple of months it being harder, especially in Canada, summer right now. Summer and alcohol go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. Everything here socially like revolves around alcohol. Let's go sit on a patio. It's outside with drinks, right? Let's go on a river float. It's outside with drinks. It's I, I've actually found it harder in the last couple of months than I did in the first month I quit. Mm. what's the hard component for you is it just the scenery or is it the socializing aspect it's the socializing aspect yeah Mm. yeah it is I mean there's like my girlfriends invited me and they're like I don't know if you want to go to this but they went up to the big city that's close to us and they went on a beer tasting bike ride right so like I'm, I'm missing out on things because I'm not drinking and so that aspect is hard you know the feeling of missing out or I'm not getting invited to specific things that revolve around alcohol. That's hard, especially too, because I've been mm. friends with them for so long. How do you, how do you deal with that in your head? Because I know for a lot of people that, that could spark rejection. Um, mm. It could spark feelings of loneliness and isolation. How do you handle those feelings when they come up? If they come up a lot of compassion for myself. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I've, I feel like I've always been on a healing journey, but this last year has really been about my own healing. So I just sit and ask myself like what I'm feeling, why I'm feeling it. um, Why do I feel the need to go drink? And if I'm missing out, it's, it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. I I love that. So tuning in, asking yourself what you're feeling, why you're feeling it. Yeah. yeah. and, And why do I feel the need to drink? Yeah. 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 It's, it's those situations like not getting invited to that, that actually makes it more hard than the actual drinking itself. I mean, I loved beer. Beer was my drink beer. I love craft beers. I love going to like little breweries and little different pubs and always just trying their beer. And I mean, I still have hats from breweries and shirts and, you know, like that was my thing. Yeah. And I mean, it's just such a different way of being. And like you say, when it's so, it's your friends, it's the way you socialize, it's the summer in Canada, you know, and I think everyone can relate to that. Summer is a big trigger as well. So, but I love what you said about just tuning in and being present Mm -hmm. with your own feelings and trying to kind of sit with it and, 
Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And you can still go and enjoy, I'm sure, maybe you could still go to, I mean, do they do many zero beers over there? I know they do here now in Australia. Uh, they do. I actually have only one time in this entire, I guess it's been like almost 11 months, had a non-alcoholic beer. Um, it's just not even something, I, I don't even want that anymore either. It's interesting when we create something for like we see ourselves as a certain way, like we see mm-hmm. ourselves as this person who loves breweries and I love this and I love that. And then what does it look like for you not being that person, you know, and, and does that sit okay with you? Do you create someone new for yourself? Like how do you manage that? I just choose different things. Um, when my friends went and did that, I just chose to do something else. I still, I like to go out and have fun. So I'll still go out. I'll still go out. I still go to the bar with my girlfriends. We'll still go out dancing. Um, and I still have fun. I still end up being one of the last people out with them and I drive them all home. And I don't know, there's something in me that I love responsibility for some reason, but I also, I don't always stay the latest anymore. I used to, um, I like coming home and I like getting sleep and I also like waking up and not being hungover. And it's, it's always just, it's not that I hope my girlfriends have big hangovers, but there's something inside of me that every time they're like, Oh, I'm so hungover. Oh, I spent the rest of the weekend in bed. I'm like, huh? I didn't <laughs> You know. It's <laughs> I'm like, yeah. I actually got to spend a whole nother day doing other things other than being sick. And yeah, I really just yeah. don't want my kids to see me like that. Yeah, it's so true. It's so true. And I think something that you said too about your own healing journey, it's, you know, became more important than the other, you know. And so I think it's when we start to weigh things up with alcohol, like actually doing a like a cost analysis on it almost, cost risk analysis where we go, okay, what is this costing me? And what am I getting yeah. what am I getting for it out of it? And, yeah. you know, what if I don't do it? And then what do I get out of it? And for you it was this whole healing journey and not just physically but spiritually as well mm-hmm. yeah for sure it's when you start to see the the physical aspect of things when you're starting to see that healing mm-hmm. is do you kind of reflect on that to keep you going yeah I do and I realize that like when I go out um I went on a date the other night Ooh. and yeah the guy I went out with like he's like you sure you don't want to drink Right. Did one of those. He's like, come for whiskey. And he's like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I know you don't drink. He's like, fine. Have a coffee. Right. And he just like, he pokes on purpose, which is fine. And I was like, oh, I could have one beer. Like I, I could just have one. And then I realized too, I I'll just sit with that because that's just a craving and it, it passes really fast. Once I just, if I just sit with it, I acknowledge it being there. It's like, yeah, I, I could have one, but and then, you know, it is that cost benefit analysis, like then one might lead to two, two might lead to three. I've also, I mean, it's been almost 11 months and then I have to, I feel like I have to restart. <laughs> I couldn't just have one. Like it, there's something exciting when I see how many days I haven't had a drink. There's something like some reward, some internal reward that I get by just tracking that. And I know I don't want to start it over again. So, mm-hmm. 
That's amazing. I think if at any time too you're going to throw, I mean, it would have definitely been your birthday away with the girlfriends. Mm-hmm. That would have been a time. But also like meeting new people or going on a date like for the first time with someone, especially the people pleaser in us would tend to just go, fuck it, yeah, I'll do it. And I just think yeah. it's so brave of you to just sit and acknowledge and and mm-hmm. be aware of everything. And like you said, mm-hmm. I could, I could, but yeah. what's it going to get me? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I'd say over the last 11 months, something's changed. Like the first month I quit drinking, it was like, yeah, I'm just taking a break. And then it turned into, yeah, maybe I'll have one one day again. And it just, now I just answer people and they're like, oh, you don't want to drink. And I'm like, no, thanks. I don't drink. And it's just so much easier because before, if I would have said, no, I don't drink, I feel like there would have been a judgment. Right. And now it's almost like there's some part in me that feels prideful for myself, not a judgment for other people, but in myself that I can own that. It's like, no, I don't drink. Oh, it feels so, so good, doesn't it? I'm the same. Like when someone asks me and I say, no, I don't drink, I feel so proud of myself. I actually feel like a bit of a yeah. rebel and I feel proud. I feel a bit different. Yeah. And it makes me feel great. It, it, you do feel like a rebel in this, like in our society. It's so normal. Um, When I was going through my social work program, we were talking, when I was in my addictions class, we talked about how women especially didn't suffer with alcoholism to the extent that men didn't, and maybe still not to the same degree, but it is really pushed on women to fit into some societal norm. It's like coffee in the morning and then wine time at night. And I mean, like you can go in a, any department store and they have decorations and it's like, it's wine time. And it, like, it's so forced upon us that it's normal for all these women to be drinking where, you know, several decades ago, it wasn't as common. Yeah, that's so, so true. There's a huge push in society for women to be drinking. Yeah. Like so they open the demographics of advertising to get women to drink more. Mm, it's so true that whole mummy wine thing is um it's pretty full-on you know and so many women end up caught in that 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 kind of cycle as well and they Mm -hmm. don't know how to get themselves out of it and it seems so normal you know yeah it's like I've had so many ladies tell me and or women I just need to have a glass of wine at the end of the day like I just like and I mean people always look at me and they're like, you have six kids. How are you not a drunk? How are you not drinking all the time? How are you coping? And you're like, and not only am I six kids, I'm six kids and a single mom. (laughs) Right. So they're like, how do you, how do you make it through a day without turning to a drink? How do you make it through your day? Like I know how much work you do. You work constantly. And then you've got your six kids, you're studying um compassionate inquiry as well. I mean, you're so busy. How do you handle the stress? Because that's most people's go-to. They know, we know if I, if I have a drink, I'm going to feel good momentarily. And for so many people, it just mm-hmm. is too attractive not to. So how do you manage it? Um, music. I love music. Music is a huge de-stressor for me. Meditation yes. and reading, just anything, just something I've really learned in the last little while of my life is the ability to sit in an uncomfortable place. There's a lot of times yeah, where I'm really stressed or I've had a really tough day and I just, I know I'm uncomfortable 
And instead of trying to not be uncomfortable, it's like, it's okay to be uncomfortable. And I'm just going to sit with this right now. And I ask myself, what do you need? You know, it's, it's okay to be uncomfortable. Of course I would be uncomfortable. I have the weight of the world on my shoulders. I work in disability services right now. My clients are pretty tough a lot of days. Um, I'm also one of the bosses there. So I have a lot of responsibility on me. Um, my phone seems to never shut off. And then I come home and I'm dealing with kids. And I mean, it's also, it's learning. I'm not, I haven't always been perfect at doing that. I've cried a lot, but I've also not got mad at myself for crying or told myself I couldn't, or again, even just being able to sit with uncomfortable emotions. That's something I used to try and run away from. Mm-hmm. Um, I did this. I do a lot of mindfulness where I try to detach myself from the emotions coming up. And I say, Hey, look, anger just showed up. What is anger trying to tell me instead of just identifying where it's like, I'm so angry. I'm so frustrated. It's like, Oh, look, frustration showing up. What's frustration kind of trying to tell me right now. So a lot of it is like detaching almost from the emotion, not identifying with it and just kind of seeing it as a visitor. And that's really helped me be with those uncomfortable emotions. Oh my God. That is so huge. Yes. And seeing it as a visitor, what a beautiful way of seeing it, that this thing is coming in and it's not me. I'm not angry. It's just this visitor that's showing up or I'm not sad. Something I'm feeling sadness right now, or it's a visitor. That is yep, so sadness is showing up. Yeah. What's it trying to tell me? And what's, what's its it purpose? What's me? its function? Right. Like just asking myself those questions and then just allowing it. Mm-hmm. They're all emotions. And I mean, we see them as such negative emotions, anger and frustration and overwhelm and sadness. But if we just paid attention to those emotions and, you know, ask yourself the questions like, why is this showing up? You know, there's a lot of gifts in just asking yourself those questions and then really being open to receiving answers. Oh my God. Absolutely. It's just like that, that question that we ask people when, you know, we're coaching them or going through a compassionate inquiry session with them, you know, if, you know, if the anger needs to speak, what does it need to say? Or what does the sadness want to say? And it's just Mm -hmm. so empowering. And it's when people, at first time people go, huh? (laughs) what you want what do you mean and then but if if you allow it to happen and just let them go just trust me go with it uh it's Mm -hmm. like such a light bulb moment for people oftentimes where it's just like wow and this is something that i've needed to say or express for so long and not be Mm -hmm. afraid of it you know because we're so afraid of our feelings and my god i'm sure people that listen to this podcast are sick of me talking about it but you know it it is so powerful and it is so life-changing to be able to tune in with yourself and be aware of the emotions that are coming up rather than trying to escape them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I kind of, I feel like the more I resisted them, the harder they were trying to be present. So anytime I felt an uncomfortable emotion and I tried doing something to escape it, they would just come back stronger and harder. And it was like, mm. you know, the universe first gives you like a feather tickle and then it gives you a stick to the head and it gives you a brick and then it gives you, a, you know, a semi truck 
right? Like it's all those, like if you're, what's that saying? Um, buried feelings don't die. Mm. Right. And so allow, just with allowing yourself to sit in those uncomfortable emotions or, you know, see them as being present, something happens where they don't come as strong. It's almost like watching waves come. It's, it's just different. It's, yeah. It is really incredible. And I know this from coaching with people when we sit and like face the emotions and sit with them, it is they, and some people that are really petrified and say, I'm really scared to do this. And we just go gently and we'll only go where you want to go. And and yeah. oftentimes they're the people that sit and they get so much out of it and realize that, oh, my God, it's not going to hurt me. It's not going to overtake me. I can I can sit with that. You know, yeah. it's just incredible. It is life-changing, honestly. I think this sort of way of looking at uh, recovery too and this sort of this more trauma-informed way of looking at it because really most problems with alcohol or any other addictions stems from some kind of past, you know, some past trauma. And even if it's not the big trauma, like some people say, well, I wasn't sexually abused or I wasn't this or that or, and they think that they have to have gone through this big thing, a big T trauma to have, yeah. to have had trauma. But like Gabor teaches that, it can just be the lack of attunement with a parent, you know, a parent not yeah. being emotionally available is a trauma for a child. And then yeah. what they make that mean about themselves, I'm not worthy, I'm not good enough. And so our past is always showing up in our present, those big reactions and the cravings and I don't want to feel this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Do you think the not just the alcohol and not just the golden seal and the vitamin C but the mm-hmm being present with those emotions has helped with your physical healing as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Gabor's book, the hidden cost of stress was a life changer for me. Was that when the body says no? Yeah, that one. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was kind of funny reading it because I've always loved spirituality stuff. And Louise L. Hay wrote a book decades ago and for every physical ailment, she wrote like a negative thought pattern that could have created it. But it was so woo-woo for people because there was no like scientific evidence mm-hmm. for them to see. And so I had been interested in that stuff for years. And when my marriage was ending, it was really awful. It was quite abusive. And my husband, my ex-husband's an addict. And it was my thyroid when I got Hashimoto's. And if you look in Louise A's book, she talks about when you have thyroid issues, it's the inability to speak. Right. And so when you read Gabor's book, now he has these scientific based studies that say, Hey, no, like if you're having the inability to speak yet, you're probably going to get a thyroid disease. Right. And he talks about like really nice people get MS and really, you know, like people who can't set boundaries and it's like, Oh God, like, uh-huh. I need to be able to do this for me because I know the stuff. If I'm not setting boundaries, if I'm not speaking up, if I'm choosing attachment over authenticity, it's going to show up in my body. Yes. Yeah. That book is incredible. And it's so funny. We're having this discussion the other night. I met up with a group of women from my graduates group and mm-hmm. we had dinner in Melbourne and we were talking about Louise Hayes book. You can heal your life. 
And yeah. a couple of the we were saying, and I was one of them too, like, oh my God, that shit was so woo-woo about what she'd say about the body and um the thought patterns that would go with it. And and I was with them and I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I said, but have you read Gabor Mate's book when the body says no? Because it's actually quite similar. His is just he's got the science to back it. Um mm-hmm. it's it's pretty amazing. So we realized that we have to get this stuff. I always say that emotions are better, uh, emotions are like farts, better out than in. Yeah, <laughs> because that shit's going to make you sick, you know, and and just like a gassy gut, like we've got to get this out and like the emotions, yeah. we've got to get them out. We can't keep them stored inside us so they get sick and that's alcohol is doing just that. It's keeping all that stuff in, whether it's yeah. a big emotion, whether it's just feeling really fucking awkward socially and there's something and it's like you say, what's going on for me? You know, what's yeah. causing the craving? Is it I'm so uncomfortable? Why am I so uncomfortable? What's that's all? What's that all about? And having some compassion towards yourself is just mm-hmm. so huge. I just think there's so many different reasons people drink, right? It's like the the social aspect. It's boredom. Like I, I still, like I said, I still work in a little pub, um, and I watch people come in there, and I know I'm watching the clients come in there or like the patrons. They're traumatized or they're bored. They don't have like somebody else in their life or family around. So they drink out of boredom. Like I I could literally watch people walk in and I, it's like, I know why they're there. It's not because they're just like, Hey, I really just love a beer. I'm going to go sit in a bar by myself and just get drunk. And it's, it's kind of funny. Like I feel a lot more compassionate even towards the customers that come in now. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Same as if I see someone that's really drunk at a party or at a family gathering, I just think, oh, what's going on for you, really? Like, I just want to get them into a corner and start laying yeah. some compassionate inquiry on them, but it's not the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Something, something changed in me where it was like, oh, I wish I could be that fun person drinking to now I'm like, oh, I wonder what they're really needing in their life. Right. Yeah. Like the perspectives shifted for me. Yes. Oh my God. Yes. Yes. And if we're looking at, pe- if we're having that kind of looking at people drinking and getting smashed and feeling like, damn, I'm missing out. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. How different it would feel for us to actually look at them and go, geez, I wonder what it is they're really needing. Um, totally. Oh my God. Amazing. You are amazing. So tell me the Hashimoto's, how is that faring for you? Is that chilling out? How does that present itself? I actually don't know much about it. Oh, so I got diagnosed with Hashimoto's about nine years ago um it was in between my fifth and sixth baby but I went from having a miscarriage to having my fourth baby to having my fifth baby and nursing all the while in between um and I just started getting really sick I lost a whole bunch of weight in between those pregnancies um I was quite thin and I lost like three quarters of my hair. I lost my eyebrows. Um, and then I went from losing a whole bunch of weight to just starting to gain weight. Like I f- was eating the exact same food and I gained 20 pounds in a month. Um, I got really, really tired. I could barely, like, I felt like a zombie, um, really bad brain fog. I couldn't remember simple words. Like it was in there, but I just couldn't get it off the tip of my tongue. Like, a, like a, light you know like pick a random word you know cat it was like oh what are they called again like I was having such bad brain fog so 
that's when I knew something was wrong. And then in just the normal routine blood work, they found it, um, that my thyroid was out. And then he sent me for more blood work when I was pregnant with my sixth uh, baby. So that's how it came up. And then again, my marriage was falling apart at that point in my life. And um, shortly after my ex-husband and I separated, I started feeling better with no change of medication or anything else. I just started feeling human again. Unbelievable. Wow. Yeah. Um, when I first got diagnosed, my I was going for blood work like at least every six weeks and my numbers were never within normal range. They were always really bad. And it was basically my life was falling apart. And so was my health all at once. <laughs> Pretty sure that they're correlated. So yeah, they always are correlated, aren't they? They yeah. yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. That's what I said. Like once my ex-husband, once he left, that was when I finally started feeling better. It was I felt relief on like physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. I mean, it it, it took about eight months to get there, but I definitely felt quite a bit better after. Um, yeah. Yeah, it just takes such a toll on your body to go through something like that and to just without expressing it, without feeling our feelings. And it just, mm-hmm. like we said before, you know, when the body says no, it fucking, it says no, no. If you won't say no for me, I will. Yeah, the body will say no for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm not sure if you can hear in the background, it's the, cause, because I said I'm at my friend's place, is the Total Balance Studio. My friend Kathy. So this is where I come to do float tanks and um, mm-hmm. ice baths, and she's got the float tank on in the background. So if you're hearing water, that's what that is. Which I will be in shortly. I'm going to go jump and have a, a float. So tank, exciting! Is, oh my god, amazing! I was like, oh yes, yes, that works perfectly for me. I'll go and do my podcast interview at yours, and then I'll jump in your float tank. Perfect. Um, you know, and I'll sit there and I'll feel all my feelings. It's, it was a big weekend for me. I was away, had my dad's memorial this weekend and family and navigating all that stuff and just being present for the grief that, that showed up. And so feeling pretty exhausted, you know, grief is very exhausting. It mm-hmm. puts you into that, your nervous system. My nervous system has just gone, boosh. you know, normally mm-hmm. I'm quite on where this, at this moment I'm feeling, um, a little bit, you know that they call it dorsal vagal. I mean that dorsal yep. response of just a bit slow and tired, and but it's okay. And like you say, it's it's okay, and it doesn't. We don't need it to be any other way than what it is right now. And doesn't mean if we acknowledge it, we're going to get stuck there forever. And it's really important to just remind yourself that that when we and it's the kindest thing we can do is to check in and see how we're feeling and know that. It is perfect as it is, and we don't need it to be any other than what it is. It's our body just trying to say you need to rest, you need to chill, mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. yeah, you don't need to drink alcohol. Yeah. You just don't. <laughs> I think, there's, I think too, society has told us, even if it's unconsciously, that it's not okay to have negative feelings. There's this whole toxic culture you know if you're depressed it's toxic if you're you'll be the toxic friend if you if you're negative or if if you're always sad or if you're a victim like it's so toxic but I think it has a negative impact on humans when they can't have those 
what we say or what society says is negative emotions instead of just these are human emotions and you're no less of a person if you're going through grief or you're going through anger or you're going through sadness or you're experiencing some of that some of them it's we all have things that happen in life you can't always be the most positive person what do they call it toxic positivity right where (laughs) you have this expectation to always be positive because if you're not you might be that awful friend who's always whining or complaining or you know like instead of just allowing people to be in whatever emotion or allowing them to go through life and experience those emotions yeah and that's the great thing about really good friends too like that connection that we have with friends that actually give a shit or family members that really do care about us they can reflect that sometimes too and say like you know my good friend Lisa she'll be one to say to me hey I reckon you're going too hard at the moment I think you need a rest or you know how are you doing are you okay you know and just checking in sometimes when we can't do that for ourselves and and Mm -hmm. I agree like like I did a post on this the other day imagine if we would start saying to our friends or people that we met what are you feeling instead of how are you going? How are you going? How are you doing? Like, yeah. What are you feeling right now? Oh my God, that would be so cool. Like, what are you feeling? So Janine, this is my question. What are you feeling right now? What's your body telling you right now? Well, it's 1145 on a Friday night. You uh, sober. <laughs> um, having a great conversation with a good friend. Uh, I feel good. Yeah, I feel good. Yeah. Yeah. What's your nervous system doing? I mean, I'm definitely getting tired. <laughs> it's it's, it's a bit been of a time. good day. Got to go watch a movie with my 19-year-old daughter who still wants to hang out with me. Oh, beautiful. Um, yeah. Went shopping a bit and went out for supper. We actually went and ate at a little pub. I don't even feel the need to go to, you know, that's something I did for myself too when I quit drinking. I didn't tell myself I was going to avoid the places. And I know for some people, they really need to. Um, for me, it was because I still work there. My friends still go. I needed to get to a place where I was still going to be okay with going out and just not having a drink. Um, but yeah, we went and had supper at a pub and I had a water and had food and it was great. Yeah. So beautiful, isn't it? Like so connected, yeah. so just so perfect. I love that, and what a, and then what a gift for your daughter as well to have a mum that's mm-hmm. present and you know can do that with her and not be running off to wondering where she's going to get her next beer from. I think that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. Well, we'll wrap up. But what would you know just on this thing of healing and like this healing journey? What what advice would you give to someone who did want to kind of go on a bit of a healing journey physically and spiritually? Where would you suggest that they start? Definitely start with compassionate inquiry. Anything by Gabor, especially for somebody who's really trying to step away from addictions um, in the realms of the hungry ghost. Mm, I think just having, yeah, it's great. I just think the possibility and hope is in that book. Um, I think surrounding yourself by people who are supportive and tough question I think it's uh there's not just one answer to get there I think a lot of it is learning to sit in the uncomfortable places yeah absolutely because I I think there are gifts in 
every single uncomfortable emotion that arises. Oh, I just got goosebumps. Yeah, it's so true. There's gifts in every single uncomfortable emotion that arises. I think a lot of, you know, people say they're on a healing journey and they're doing all this personal development and it's all about setting goals and getting to like the next place. And um, I, I think that's great, but you could spend the rest of your life pushing forward to those goals and never feel true happiness or fulfillment if you can't, you know, allow those negative or those perceived negative emotions to be present. Mm, absolutely, 100%. So, Janine, thank you so much for coming on and I've just loved this chat and you're bloody amazing. And I tell you what, for a woman that's on this healing journey and juggling everything that you do, you're incredible as well as your own coaching business. And if anyone wanted to reach out to you for your coaching, I'll put notes in the show notes. But what's the best way for someone to contact you, particularly people as well that are going through like Hashimoto's or thyroid eye disease and want to get maybe perhaps a bit of coaching and, you know, learning or perhaps just leaning on someone who's been there and it's done the healing for themselves. Um, and not that we're taking, you know, this is medical advice or anything, but just from your own experience. Yeah. So how would they contact you? Um, they can contact me via email mm-hmm. at janinehealthcoach at gmail.com. And I'm also on Instagram mm-hmm. as healthcoachjanine. Healthcoachjanine, no worries. I'll put that in my show notes. And I look forward to catching up with you again um, in our next class or in our next session or Zoom or whatever. Um, it's been awesome talking with you today and and uh, go get some sleep. Yeah, thanks, Danny. Thanks, mate. Good talking to you. Okay. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.